You're listening to Goodfellas Minute 94. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Hello and welcome to Goodfellas Minute, the only podcast that analyzes the Martin Scorsese picture Goodfellas one Christmas celebration minute at a time. I'm Ron Richards and with me is Josh Flanagan. Hello. And Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And joining us again is the great Greg Young from the Bowery Boys podcast. How you doing, Greg? Great. Excellent. Can't wait to tackle this minute. Yes, 94. So this minute starts with Henry celebrating in the shower, and it ends with poor Johnny Roast Beef. Oh, Johnny. Save it. Save it. Wait for it. <laughs> so uh, Henry just gave the radio 22 minutes, and they gave him the world. Well, let's start off then with the fun fact for this minute, which harkens back to yesterday's episode. This is about 1010 Wind, the radio station that Henry's listening to in the radio. We talked about how yesterday was one of the oldest stations uh, in New York. It's actually the oldest all-news station in the United States. Wow. And it's been continuously broadcasting news since 1965. Previous to that, it was a rock and roll station. And the last song played on on WINS was Out in the Streets by the Shangri-Las on April 18th, 1965. Well, that's that's almost fitting as well too. For this. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say the Shangri Las, and then it bit changed of a, over bit to of the news. Wall of sound there. Yeah, yep. Queen's own Shangri Las. Yep. I love how they don't show a moment of the heist. Yeah, that's it's, interesting, right? I mean, it's like the one. It is the biggest heist as they do re, then repeat, but like not not even a second, right? Well, it's Henry's guess. story and Henry wasn't there. Yeah. Right. So so right. so, it's, so in reality, yeah, that or there was a meeting with Irvin Winkler and he's like, yeah, we're way yeah. over budget. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's really an auteur director who can sell that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's what's interesting about that is that we've talked about it, we've alluded to in the past that Henry, while like Henry made the connection of Maury to Jimmy and then to do the heist, and then once he did that handoff, he stepped away, and in fact he stepped away so much that in in the book Wise Guy he talks about it and how he says he says at some point. You don't ask questions. You don't want to know. Knowing will get you in trouble. So he distanced himself from it, which I think is fascinating because he just trusted his crew to go do it, and he finds out about it on the radio. Well, it's not and his he's job. Not he's not the line producer. He's just he just yeah. makes the deal. No, and I what don't. a celebration it was for him. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've never been so happy in a shower in my entire life. <laughs> and and by the way, I'm not saying it would have been appropriate, but if at the very end of that there was a large slip sound and he fell down. <laughs> It would have been funny. We ruined the movie, but... So uh, how it's presented by the announcer is interesting, right? Because it, they break down the fact that they don't quite know how much money was stolen, right? Yep. That they say it was $2 million according to the FBI and $4 million according to the Port Authority and $5 million according to the city cops, right? Yep. So it's that's, to me, an interesting detail. I also wanted to... Read a tiny clip I got from the New York Times just a few days after the heist. And I think this is a good, this sort of underscores another bigger, bigger, bigger context, which is the fact that New York isn't doing so well at this time, right? I mean, it almost, it almost, it almost went into bankruptcy a couple years before. It's just rampant crime everywhere. So I found this hilarious. I'm only going to read a couple sentences from it. But it, there's like this jaded news article from December 17th, 1978. The headline is, A $5 million heist via the back gate. 
Cargo thefts are so common at New York City's airports, it seemed inevitable that sooner or later a record of some kind would be set. It happened last week. Several masked men cut through an unguarded gate at Kennedy International Airport, and after handcuffing nine Lufthansa employees, methodically emptied a high-value concrete vault in the airline's cargo facility. So, essentially... The sort of like reaction to this, I mean, so the the breaking news, of course, it would have been in everybody's ear, but this would have came and went when it first came out because it would have just been yet another crime. The only notable part about this is, congratulations, it was the largest, right? <laughs> um, and I think fi- the final line in this is, quote, for all their precision, the thieves left fingerprints behind in the vehicle. So, of course, what we know now is part of the reason that this becomes such a huge story is because of the reactions, you know, that the people involved have in it. So, um, but I think it's sort of a very funny thing to think that, like, back then in 1978, most people would have read this in the paper and were like, eh, yeah, no, I, I, that it was so co- the, the the robbery was so commonplace there that they was, yeah. Yeah, just kind of shrug it off. It's, yeah, Listen, it's, end of the day, Vincent Asaro had nothing to do with it. <laughs> the end of, yes, he's off. He's, his nose is clean. So, so, so the 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 robbery itself took place on December eleventh at three twelve a.m. and it took sixty four minutes to happen. What kind of masks? And I actually, yeah, they had they had ski masks. They, oh, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I went to some of the archives as well. I wanted to. I wanted to know what the pa- like similar to you, Greg. I wonder what the paper's saying. All I could find was, which I found was interesting, is I found the front page of the Daily News on December twelfth, mm-hmm. and their headline was "Red Baron Ripped Off: JFK Robbers Get Five Million in Cash," and <laughs> it only got half of the front page. Okay, the bottom half of the front page was something about King Tut, and <laughs> yeah. then well, and then, Martin? and then yeah, no, not C. Martin. Time yeah. is right. And then something about a subheadline about ask seven percent hike in phone rate. So I guess phone call, phone rates are going up. And then the lower corner was a, a spotlight rate? a spotlight on the twenty fifth anniversary of Playboy, and it had a Playboy bunny on it. It said Playboy at twenty five. That's what's going on in New York on that on the, on that day. I just think people pl- like thought about crime like that would be covered in a completely different manner yep. today. I have a feeling. So so now it did get. Uh, it did get the full front page on the final edition of the New York Post on December 11th, and it says five million five five M, you know, five million dollar heist at JFK. Bandits subdue ten at the airport, and then it starts the article, and then at the very bottom of his subheadline, a report card on Koch's first year on page two. Mm. So, so Ed Koch's huh. first year as mayor was in 1978. So there we go. I was trying. I wanted to because in the book in Wise Guy, there's that whole. Basically, what we hear on the radio in the movie is written in the book, and I was trying to find. I wanted to find a recording to see if that's oh, actually yeah. what it was or not, but I couldn't find it. It seemed so authentic, actually. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that was like an a original recording. I mean, I they. Imagine, I can't imagine that exists. Well, no, it probably doesn't. But they, they, yeah, I don't know. But like the line, it looks like a big one. Maybe the biggest this town has ever seen. Like just like wow, it's like I miss the days when the radio said that. You know, like. <laughs> But like theoretically, like they would have had to record everything and yeah. then archive it, and that yeah, they probably seem... probably not, did it at least. Not a it. big budget operation then. No, no, no. What's great about that that little piece on the radio is that there's a bit of a glee to the announcer. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's never excited about the heist. Yeah, it's like he was announcing a box score or the, you know last night's game. 
It looks like a big one. Maybe the biggest one this town's ever seen. It was a dark time in New York. It was just like this. <laughs> Here's something interesting that didn't involve me getting stabbed. Yeah, I mean, it was a victimless crime, essentially. So, you know, if they could if they could sell that and, you know, no blood was shed. Just yeah. foreigners. Yeah. I, w- I want to talk more about the, the reaction to the heist, but I think we should talk about what happens next in the movie, and then we can circle back to that. Okay. Cool. So yeah, so then then it cuts to the open arms of Robert De Niro. Jimmy's <laughs> happy; he made some money. And this is at a Christmas party at Robert's Lounge, and because this, you know, the robbery happened on December 11th. Um, and I looked in the book of Wise Guy because I wanted a place to see where the party happened, mm-hmm. and, and the party actually happened literally three days after the heist on, on Thursday night. Wow. Was it a party in celebration of the heist, or was it just their annual holiday party? And did was, they have an annual holiday party? It was. It was. It was <laughs> referred to as a Christmas party. So they do have an annual holiday Christmas party. I yeah. love and that. They're not monsters. They're <laughs> 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 Catholic like boys. <laughs> yeah. No, they're gonna celebrate. You know, they, they, they have a lot of crime, but you know, they have they they have time to set up a manger. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. They, in the book, he says, you know, about three days after the robbery, we're all in Roberts having our Christmas party. Hmm. <laughs> it just happens to be they have a lot to celebrate. <laughs> good quarter, good fourth quarter. And so, so we talked earlier in the week about how annoyed De Niro looked. Have you ever seen anyone so happy as De Niro right now? Happiest we ever see Jimmy. I mean, look, <laughs> look how happy he is. Also, yeah. note he has cufflinks, which I think is a nice touch. Well, it's a Christmas party. <laughs> I'm saying. Just enough. I'm also in that shot. Check out, like, look at when, when Jimmy's coming out. Look at the light that's on Tommy, sort of in the background. Like, everything is sort of fuzzed out, but there's just light on Tommy. It's a beautiful shot. On half of his face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The shadow. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's there. It's, it's, they set the light up, and it looks like it's so just improv. Everybody's, but, you know, that light is set up perfectly. You can see exactly where Tommy is there. And, and, uh, and God, Jimmy's so happy. Yes. And, uh, he, and he welcomes Henry and says, calls him a genius. Is it? Well, that was my question. Did now does he say that? Is he saying that Henry is the genius? Yes. It sounds like. Yes. Okay. All right. I was. He, he's going to put the heist together. Which I feel is all a little. Right. I feel is a little overblown because all Henry did was connect two people and walk he's away. He's happy. <laughs> he's just. He's handing out love. He used to hand I mean, out hundreds. <laughs> yes, I mean they have to. They have to set his mood up so high because of what happens next, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean he really is over the top. Yeah, it, it's. I just. I just feel as if Henry isn't deserving of the genius title. I think, and I feel like he knows it when he comes in for the for the for the, for the hug and the kiss. I think he's like, all right, he's having a good time here. Those are mouth kisses. Oh well, no, it's kiss on the cheek. Some of them get close. <laughs> he's psyched because he's you know it's the biggest heist in the city history and he knows he's about to take all the money for himself yeah exactly. well the other thing is i don't know i don't know if you remember from earlier in the movie jimmy loved to steal right <laughs> so this is he stole more than anybody's ever stolen before it's peak stealing he can't get any happier he's the number one stealer so he that's pretty that, that would feel really good actually that would feel really good that's the best stealer yeah, the, the best stealer at the annual conference, he knows he's going to get that ribbon. He's the keynote. <laughs> I just took the most stuff ever. Our next guest, uh, I don't, we don't need to introduce him. In fact, we don't want to say his name. But, uh, I mean, he taught us all a thing or two about stealing. Jimmy Burke, get on up here. Ever since I was a boy, I wanted to steal one million, two million, but I never dreamed. I could do five million. Oh, million. In cash, in untraceable cash. Untraceable cash, just big. That's, that's the thing. The uh, you know, they mentioned the book. That's the thing they love to steal the most would be the untraceable cash because they didn't have to fence it. Didn't have to worry about a middleman. Just walk out the door and start spending it. Just use it. Yeah. Exactly. So really, it's actually better than shrimp or lobster, which goes against what they said earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, shrimp and lobster are the best. best. Of the- 
So there's yeah. no such thing as untraceable cash anymore, is there? Am I being dense here? I mean, isn't no just, idea. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it was untraceable in the sense that they didn't have it wasn't marked or recorded or or right. organized in any way. I think now they can, yeah, they just, can organize cash by se- sequences and all that sort of stuff. Like yeah. scan in the serial numbers so yeah. that those right. all they had serial numbers, but it wasn't like they kept track in the Germany side. They just dumped right. them in big barrels in big boxes. Money, right. Yeah. 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 So oh. traceable, that's in that. They have a better way to catalog, to catalog and record those serial numbers can now. We, can we think about that for a moment, by the way? Because because there's also there, there's a, a, a reference in the book where they where they they walk through the heist itself, and one of the people who one of the 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 airport workers that was tied up and subdued said at one point, you know, he was on the ground. And they had, you know, as they were moving the parcels, you know, they're getting moving them, you know, sh- shoveling these parcels of money out. And he said a bag, the bag dropped and he just saw just a stack of bills in it. And that's how he knew it was the cash. Imagine how much cash is five million dollars in 1978. Right. No, no, physically. Oh, I know. I know. Physi- no, yeah. yeah, no, no, I no, no. I'm not adjusting for, for inflation, yeah, no. Josh. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm always adjusting for inflation. Yeah, like the no, sheer yeah, it, number of yeah, the, yeah, the sheer amount of this and the fact well, that's that they, why they had so many guys too. Yeah, and they got a yeah. panel truck and all that sort of stuff like cuz they, you know, and like the the sheer volume of it just got to be overwhelming. Would it have been like there's, the pile in the dark night? Sure. Not that big, not that big. I mean, there's power in have holding all of that weight. And so I, I often do that in, in ones. <laughs> so like, like, you often steal five million in ones? Well, no, no, just like 500, but that's 500 ones. And so you, you put that in your pocket and you're like, oh, yeah. When you, when you, do, the, when you do the withdrawal from the bank and they say, how do you want it? Oh, yeah, small bills. Small bills, please. Smallest bills. <laughs> Give me the smallest bills so I can – had my pockets now. <laughs> so yeah, so it's five million dollars in cash. It sounds eight. like me reaching in to like take one dollar out and then just <laughs> they just floating down the street. Evaporates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So five million dollars in cash and eight hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars in jewels. Jeez, that's crazy. What's that today? Let's twenty-one million. Twenty-one million. Oh, okay. Yep. That's pretty good. It's not bad. Not that's, bad. That's impressive. Not as impressive as the song in this scene. Oh. Which is Frosty, oh, yes. Frosty the Snowman by the Ronettes, going Great back, go, going back to Phil Spector. We all know the song, the tale of Frosty the Snowman. The song was written by Walter Jack Rollins and Steve Nelson, and it was actually first released uh, by Gene Autry and the Cass County Boys in 1950. And this particular track appears on the album "A Christmas Gift for You" from Phil Spector, uh, which was recorded between September and October of 1963. And then released on November 22nd, 1963. Now, some of you might recognize that date in history. That was literally the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And because of that, the release was a abject failure. And was released and no one bought it and nobody cared. And it wasn't until it was re-released in 1972 that it rose to be number six, number six on Billboard's Christmas chart. Since then, it has become a cult classic. It is on my top ten albums of all time list. Uh, It is an amazing record, and it is uh, listed as 142 on Rolling Stones magazine of the 500 greatest albums. And Josh, take note: Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys has often cited this as his favorite album of all time. Wow! Yeah. So uh, a little record. Do you have any facts about how Phil Spector is a murderer? (laughs) <laughs> it, was, it, it was a different time. <laughs> oh, guy, Josh, hardworking. Listen, yeah. listen. He 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 put together a great ensemble, produced and some he great paid music. None of them. 
<laughs> yes. Took every so, single thing they earned for him. <laughs> not unlike Jimmy Burke. <laughs> I feel like what's really interesting is the music creates this sort of a weird, like a, t- a lull of time where you don't hear any Bee Gees, you don't hear any disco, yep. you don't hear any like R and B of the day. Everything is at least ten years old. I mean, that Rolling Stone song I think is probably the newest, the quote unquote newest song that's in the whole film. Right? That's a great point. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he chose the music specifically because, I mean, practically speaking, if you were in all these places, you'd hear older music. You might not hear newer music. But from a film perspective, how you perceive it as an audience, to me, it puts everything into the strange, timeless, slightly surreal quality because you're not getting quite what the world is at that time, right? right. I mean, you're not hearing, I will survive, <laughs> By Gloria Gaynor, right? right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's no, there's no. I don't think there's any disco in this movie. No. Yeah. Not that there would, because the, most of these people wouldn't listen to it. But you know, another yeah. director might put some disco on at Sandy's apartment, for instance. That yeah. would that would not seem unreasonable. Yeah. Wow, it's interesting. Fascinating. It's All a, right. It's a great song. Great song. It's, it's, Are we going to talk it, about it, sad, it, sad sack Johnny Rose Beef now? Yes. Yeah. We've been put it off. So Johnny Rose Beef arrives at the party. We're going to spend a lot of time on Johnny Rose Beef this week. <laughs> Uh, yes. Over the rest of the week, the entire rest of the week. Uh, so Johnny Rose Beef arrives to celebrate at the Christmas party. He just can't wait to show off his, first of all, his wife. To, he was very impressed that, with Johnny. <laughs> yep. And uh, then his new car. Yep. And that's when things go badly. And Johnny Rose Beef is played by Johnny Williams. Also, much like earlier in the week we talked about Joe Buddha, Johnny Williams has spent a lot of time playing guys named Big Tony, Big Bill Rome- Romeo, <laughs> Joe Peep. <laughs> Junk man, Tony Two Guns, <laughs> Fat Joe. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of work. He's got seventy seven credits, but mostly of the mob or heavy variety. <laughs> All of them are Joes. And, and I believe this was his first role, right? Was before this, didn't he? He he worked at a deli in Harlem. No, 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 no. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, he might have worked at the deli, but he was on the Super Globe Trotters TV no, series. No, I, I saw that on IMDb. <laughs> I don't think that's. I think that. I think that's a case of bad data. Because that he in his IMDb profile he's credited as doing voices for the Harlem Globetrotters cartoon in 1970. Yes. Which I feel like is impossible. Why? Because this is 1989 and he does not look like he was doing voiceover in 1970. Why not? <laughs> Could be. Could he's, be not, he's not five years old. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed it seemed like I thought that was a mixed up data thing. I looked into that and I was trying to find any sort of confirmation of that and I couldn't. In the GQ uh, oral history article about Goodfellas, he ta- he says he goes he goes uh, he says before this I was working at a deli in Harlem. Oh, okay. Yeah. He could have been. There was ten years between the voiceover work and the Goodfellas. So. Twenty years, nineteen seventy. Seventy nine. Was it seventy nine or se- yeah, oh, seventy nine? Okay. All right, maybe. <laughs> so c- can we could we discuss roast beef? That's <laughs> a great nickname. Well, because if you think about it. It's, if he worked at a deli in Harlem, that's probably where they, he got it from. <laughs> this is a, well, real, a real life mob name. <laughs> so, because of the others, you hear other names earlier, like the, the guy who says two times. I mean, because he actually says things two times. So, roast beef, he either eats a lot of roast beef or there's something about his personality that resembles roast beef in some way. Or, or there's a historical incident with him and roast beef. <laughs> oh, no, I just stuck with him forever. I mean, I'd like to be called like Gregory Chicken Sandwich, you know? I mean, I'd like to, I think it's a great, I think roast beef's a great nickname. I, I really think it's because he worked at the deli, because again, going back to the GQ oral history article, 
the first point when he talks, he's credited as Johnny quote Roast Beef Williams. So, oh, I, I think that I, I think like that's that his. Too. I think that's his real nickname in real life. That's fascinating. Maybe it's added to the character. Yeah, that's cool. he just really, really likes roast beef. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the fifth, fifth or sixth day taking a lunch order, the guy was like, "Boy, you, you want roast beef again?" Well, and, and it just he just couldn't get enough of it. My kid likes peanut butter and jelly every day, so well, it's you know. You're you know, not. I think I think you might be right, Ron. I'm looking. I'm looking at his personal website. Yes. And his own personal bio and resume does not include the voiceover work. But does it mention roast beef? I haven't found that yet. Okay. He would be quite foolish not to glom onto that one. But there's an autoplay video. Oh, no. And it keeps showing this goddamn scene over and over again. <laughs> his moment in the sun. I don't but, think he likes um, that. But going back to the roast beef. My oh, okay, here we go. He was discovered at Rayo's. Oh, of course. No way. Yep. How did, uh, how did he get a table? At, how did he get a table? Well, no, he, like, he was working there, I think. Oh, probably. Okay. How did he get a table? <laughs> so here we go. So he discovered Johnny Roast Beef is his real. That's his real nickname. Yep. Uh, Scorsese immediately cast him upon meeting him at Rio's, and he was so impressed that he named the character after the guy. Wow. That. He, wow. So what did he name was again? Johnny Roast Beef. Wow. And so to back up the roast beef nickname, Josh, my, my every time I go back to Long Island, I get a roast beef sandwich with mozzarella and garlic and uh, garlic butter. So it's not unheard of to always get a roast beef sandwich. I know. So Gosh, you I know, know I mean, I'm a vegetarian, but I want a roast beef sandwich right now. Oh, actually. Greg, it's it's a, uh, next time I come back to New York, I'll take you to this deli. It's yes, a great it's a roast beef on a hero. <laughs> I was going to try to tie. The founding of Arby's into this, but unfortunately, Arby's found it was formed in Ohio. I thought it might have an Italian. Jeez, uh, no Italian but, would take credit for that place for, for Arby's. No, no, they would like warm would, wet meat. Johnny Johnny roast beef would dismiss this place at hand. I'm sure. So Johnny so, roast beef only takes the best roast beef. Just a, a nice <laughs> thin it cut. It's a nice thin cut. You got to do. You got to set the. You got to set the. Uh, what's the. What's the thing? The slicer. slicer. You got to set the slicer to the right width. <laughs> Very thin. You got to be able to see through it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so Johnny roast beef is based on uh, in real life uh, um, a, a gentleman known as Fat Louie Cafora. Who not only was known Good as Fat, too. <laughs> who not only was known as Fat Louie, but he had another nickname called the Whale. So that's a rotund individual. That tells you something about Fat Louie Cafora. And he was actually interesting. He's one of those uh, the rare guys who jumped families. He started off uh, as a loan shark for the Colombo family before making his way in the late seventies into Jimmy's crew and working for the Lucchesis. Hmm. He got sick of them adding just one more thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I so, apologize. And so what's interesting is that right after the heist, Fat Louis Cafora, he did get indeed get get married and he married his childhood sweetheart, a uh, woman by the name of Joanna, and he was very very happy because he finally got to marry her. And his Cadillac in real life was white, it was not pink. Oh. Would have worked either way. Which leads to my question, why would he park it right there? <laughs> How did he get that space? Why, how did he get that? He's spot? late to the party. Yeah, Maybe yeah. He just left. <laughs> like well, I he, wants, he wants to show it. He obviously wants to show it off. I mean, he so. lo- he he loves that car. Tell yeah. you something. <laughs> uh, you know who was parked there? Who? Cody. <laughs> Cody had the one leg right up front. He yeah. left. Yeah. Johnny roast beef. No respect for signs. Yep. Only so. respect roast beef. Do you think that the, that this was maybe like a, a tiny little reference or maybe an allusion to 
you know, the world's most famous pink Cadillac, which was Elvis's. So Elvis had one in the 1950s. Of course, what I thought of pink Cadillac, of course, I thought of like the Mary Kay cosmetics, okay. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But in fact, the, the hit, that person's frame of reference of, oh, what a cool car this is, would have been Elvis from the 1950s. And I think it's funny, too, that the he doesn't he say something like, oh, maybe this is in the next minute, but he says something about... Um, Oh, it's my mom's car, you know, as a cover. Um, Elvis actually leased his car to his mother, but then as a sort of excuse, but then went out and continued to drive it. So I don't know if that's like, that probably is a coincidence, but I like the idea that, oh, yeah, pink car, it's awesome. Yeah, I just just did the math real quick to make sure that Elvis couldn't have participated in the Lufthansa heist, but (laughs) he was dead by then, so that, that, that checks out. He, um, I, I, I did try to find why this was. They changed it from white to pink, and I can only think of it's just a visual gag. I mean, it's more, yeah, it's more ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's that's, more ridiculous, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's a coupe. He loves that car. He loved that car. He loves that car. My whole life, I, I say I love that car, <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, so uh, his his wife is play. It was played by Fran McGee. She was also in one episode of Law and Order. As well as Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, where she played Streetwalker number two. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love that call. <laughs> All right. So we, here's my question. Yep. Is Johnny Roast Beef an idiot? Or were Jimmy's instructions not clear? Who is it well, I think we're gonna discuss that tomorrow because All this right. minute ends with Jimmy very pointedly asking Johnny, didn't I talk to you? Didn't we go over this? Yeah. And, you know, and that's where, that's where it well, is. Okay, we'll like, tease it in that yeah, way. So we'll but... tease it there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to know where the breakdown of communication was, and we're going to get into that tomorrow. Didn't I talk to you? Didn't I? Didn't we go over this? All right. Uh, anything else for Minute 94? 94. I think, I think we, that's it. All right. So uh, <laughs> that's going to wrap it up. So tune in tomorrow for Minute 95 to find out the breakdown of communication. Till then, you can find us on Twitter at GoodfellowsMin and on Instagram and Facebook at GoodfellowsMinute. You can find everything over at GoodfellowsMinute.com along with links to our support page where you can find links to our Patreon as well as to shop via Amazon. Um, Greg, where can people find the Barry Boys? The Barry Boys New York City History Podcast can be found on iTunes and all those places where you get podcasts, including this one, blog, barryboyshistory.com, and we are on Facebook and Twitter at Barry Boys. I feel so bad making we making you do that every, repetitively all through the week, but oh, hey, it's good to get I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on autopilot because I, I do it on my own podcast, so I sound <laughs> like a radio announcer. Yeah. All right, well, if you have any questions or comments or you have observations about a pink Cadillac, you can email us at goodfellowsminute.com and tune in tomorrow when we are going to bestow a mob name on one of our supporting patrons, and he can only hope it's as good as Johnny Roast Beef. It won't be. Until then, I love that call. Or will I go from a rags to return? My fate is on.